2 Kings chapter 10, verses 18 through 36 is our text. 2 Kings 10, 18 through 36. Then Jehu gathered all the people and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, Jehu will serve him much. Now summon all the prophets of Baal, all his worshipers, and all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu did it in cunning so that he might destroy the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, Sanctify a solemn assembly for Baal. And they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. And when they went into the house of Baal, the house of Baal was filled from one end to the other. He said to the one who was in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out the garments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out garments for them. Then Jehu went into the house of Baal with Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, and said to the worshipers of Baal, Search and see that there is here with you none of the servants of the Lord, but only the worshipers of Baal. Then he went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu stationed for himself eighty men outside, and he said, The one who permits any of the men whom I bring into your hands to escape shall give up his life in exchange. Then it came about, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guard and to the royal officers, Go in and kill them. Let none come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. And the guard and the royal officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the house of Baal. They brought out the sacred pillars of the house of Baal and burned them. They also broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and broke down the house of Baal and made it a latrine to this day. Thus Jehu eradicated Baal out of Israel. However, as for the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he made Israel sin, from these Jehu did not depart, even the golden calves who were at Bethel and that were at Dan. The Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in executing what is right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel sin. 
In those days, the Lord began to cut off portions of Israel, and Hazael defeated them throughout the territory of Israel, from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, the Gadites and the Reubenites, and the Manassites from Aror, which is by the valley of Arnon, even Gilead and Bashan. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu and all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Jehu slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. And Jehoahaz, his son, became king in his place. Now the time which Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was 28 years. The reading of Holy Scripture, be seated, please, and let's pray together. O Lord Most High, the Lord of armies, Jehovah Sabaoth, Elyon, we call upon your name, O Lord. We look to you as our God and our King, and we look to your word for our sustenance. We ask, O God, that you would be pleased to be at work now in our souls through this wondrous means of grace that you've given to your people, even your word, O Lord. Your word is truth. Sanctify us now in your truth by the help of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, the one implanted in our souls. Grant us illumination and understanding into the Holy Scriptures. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. King Jehu of Israel constitutes a theological quandary for biblical interpretation. On the one hand, he's commended by Jehovah himself for destroying Ahab's house. Here in 2 Kings chapter 10 and verse 30. Jehovah said to Jehu, because you have done well in executing what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab according to all my heart, then to the fourth generation uh, Jehu's sons would reign in Israel. On the other hand, Hosea uh, 1 verse 4 condemns him. For there Jehovah says, I will visit the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. How do we explain this? Well, we must certainly not say, as many do say, that this is just another instance of the Bible contradicting itself. If we believe the Bible to to be God's word given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as we certainly should, because it certainly is, 
we must believe that it contains no error or contradiction. How then do we reconcile these seemingly contradictory realities concerning Jehu? How can Jehu be commended and at the same time condemned for shedding the blood of Ahab's house? The answer resides in Jehu himself. He was indeed Jehovah's chosen instrument of vengeance upon the house of Ahab. And he did all that Jehovah wanted him to do. But he did so with an impure heart. That's what our text shows us. Jehu serves as a a much needed reminder to believers that it's possible to do the right thing with a deficient heart. It's even possible to serve the Lord, to be called a servant of the Lord, and yet serve Him in a sinful way. The Lord isn't only interested in what you do, but how you do it. Our text teaches us that zeal for Jehovah's cause is frequently diminished or negated by a deficiency of the heart. Zeal for Jehovah's cause is frequently diminished or negated by a deficiency of the heart. You look at two things here in our text. In the first place, Jehu's zeal results in the eradication of Baal worship, verses 18 to 27. Secondly, Jehu's zeal for Jehovah is found deficient. First then, in verses 18 to 27, Jehu's zeal results in the eradication of Baal worship in Israel. Now, Jehu had professed his zeal for Jehovah. This is a part of our text last uh, Lord's Day. Jehu said to Jehonadab, verse 16, Come with me and see my zeal for Jehovah. This is a man who confessed to be zealous for the things of Jehovah. That's not what it looked like in Samaria, initially at least. Uh, That's the way it looked in Samaria in verse 17 when he killed all who remained to Ahab in that city. But that's not how it looked uh, when he says, verse 18, Ahab served Baal a little, Jehu will serve him much. The political establishment associated with Ahab had had been wiped out, but the religious establishment looked as strong as ever when when Jehu said that his his, uh, loyalty to Baal would exceed that of Ahab. The repetition of Baal 17 times in verses 18 to 28 seems to underline the entrenched domination of this false god and the seeming impossibility of ousting him. 
Jehu's summons went out to all the prophets, servants, priests of Baal to be present upon the pain of death at an inauguration service of sorts for his newly uh, for his new reign as king where he would make uh, a great sacrifice for Baal verse 19 and then the, the writer uh, enlightens you with an aside Jehu was acting deceptively in order to wipe out the worshipers of Baal he issues a decree for a solemn assembly for Baal, verse 20, all the Baalists are notified and they arrive, not one was missing, and they fill the house of Baal from wall to wall, verse 21. And then he ensures that all the Baal worshipers are given the proper vestments for worship, verse 22, that makes them easy to identify for his execution squad, also makes sure that none of Jehovah's worshipers uh, will be present during this alleged worship service to Baal, verse 23. It goes, goes through the, uh, it goes in for the, the sacrificial service, but he has 80 men under orders outside of the house of Baal, verse 24. And when he leaves uh, the worship service, he sends these men into execute all of the Baal worshipers, verse 25, threatening any who allows any of the Baal worshipers to escape, that they would forfeit their own lives in exchange. The guards, Jehu's guards, his, his royal officers, complied, wiping out all the worshipers uh, of Baal, completely demolishing the house of Baal, verses 26 and 27. Baal's house isn't only utterly destroyed, but it suffers the humiliation of being used as a public toilet. As we noticed last week uh, was the case concerning Jehu's earlier actions, uh, both in Jezreel uh, and in Samaria. Some, uh, some interpreters take issue with what Jehu did with regard to the Baal worshipers as well, in verses 18 to 27, or, or how he did it, claiming that uh, wiping out the Baal worshipers wasn't part of the prophetic mandate that uh, Jehovah had given to him as his instrument of vengeance, or that the end didn't justify the means of his deception of the Baal worshippers and the priests to bring them to the house of Baal only to be slaughtered. As we said last week, the inspired writer of Scripture will not allow us to do this. He will not allow us to question Jehu's theology. He won't allow us to question the application of that theology. We're here in chapter 10 and verse 30. We read that the Lord says to Jehu, because you have done well in executing what is right in my eyes and have done 
to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your son shall of uh, the fourth generation shall sit on my throne. This is after Jehu eradicated Baal out of Israel. This is after all that Jehu did with regard to Ahu, Ahab's house, uh, with regard to uh, Ahaziah's, uh, his, his, his relatives uh, whom he slaughtered, the relatives, the brothers of Ahaziah uh, of Judah. Baal worship had been a key part of Ahab's religious policy and its elimination would further remove any lingering loyalty to that family and utterly bring down the house of Ahab and that's what Jehovah had determined would, uh, was to be done. The writer's evaluation in verses 29 to 31 does allow us, however, to question Jehu's motives for wiping out Baalism. It suggests that, in, that, that opposition to Ahab rather than devotion to Jehovah is what was driving Jehu. In other words, Jehu likely purged the Baal worshippers not because he was so pro-Jehovah, but because he was anti-Ahab. Eliminating Baal uh, eliminated Ahab loyalists, dissolved support for Ahab's family, and so would consolidate Jehu's power. Jehu's eradication of Baal worship seems to validate his professed zeal for Jehovah. But secondly, uh, we see in verses 28 to 26, or rather 36, that Jehu's zeal for Jehovah is found deficient. Now, these four verses here in 28 through uh, 31 must be taken together in order to, for us to properly understand them. They, they form a two-step pattern. Commendation, verse 28, qualification, verse 29. Commendation, verse 30, qualification, verse 31. Jehu wipes out Baal worship, verse 28, but he himself didn't turn away from Jeroboam's syncretistic Bull worship, verse 29. Jehovah commends and rewards Jehu for obliterating Ahab's house, verse 30, but the writer repeats, he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel sin, verse 31. The problem with Jehu's reforms isn't that they went too far. The problem was not an overreach on Jehu's part. But they didn't go far enough. Or we could say they didn't go deep enough. That is, into Jehu's own heart, verse 31 reveals. He did to Ahab's house all that was in Jehovah's heart, we're told, but he wasn't careful to walk in Jehovah's law with all his heart. 
The destruction of Baal worship was uh, indeed uh, a credit to Jehu, as the summary of verse 28 makes clear. Since 1 Kings 16, all the way back to 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 31 and 32, the narrative has concentrated on Baalism and its deadly effect in Israel. The figure of Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom, has haunted the king's narrative with his epithet that he caused Israel to sin. The syncretism that he introduced, not necessarily limited to the golden calves at Dan and Bethel, the north and the south of the northern kingdom, not necessarily limited to these, but including these, was still alive. This syncretistic worship, you remember where Jeroboam the first appointed his own priests, He set up these golden calves at the borders of Israel uh, so that God's people would no longer go to Judah to to worship him as they had been appointed to do. Jehu removed the worst kind of idolatry, this idolatry that had lingered for years in Israel, the Baalism. But that doesn't mean that other types of idolatry can be tolerated. This lends support to uh, the view that Jehu was more anti-Ahab than pro-Jehovah. None of the northern kings was to introduce a wholesale purge of idolatry. Not many of Judah's kings were either, but none of the northern kings Uh, kings of of Israel in the north. Verses 30 and 31 uh, here in our text give us a balanced picture. He did what was right in eradicating Ahab's house, and for it he was rewarded the promise of a a dynasty that would last for successive generations nearly 90 years. The king's concerned One of them named here in our text, Jehoahaz, Joash, Jeroboam II, and Zechariah. Once the summary of Zechariah's reign is given in 2 Kings 15, verse 11, then we read in verse 12, this is the word of Jehovah which he spoke to Jehu, saying, your sons to the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. And so it was. Jehovah's kept his word to Jehu. He's commended him for uh, the work that he did. It was right in his eyes. He's kept his word uh, to King Jehu. The commendation that he received shows us how horrible the reign of Ahab was and how commendable it was for Jehu to purge Israel of Ahab and 
Baal worship. However, verse 31 shows us, shows us the true state of, of Jehu's hearts and his mixed motives. He had certainly overthrown Baalism, but he left untouched the idolatry that had existed in the land. He, it, he, he allowed it to, to, to take root. Baalism had become the predominant false religion in the land, and now uh, he uh, returned to the syncretistic worship of Jeroboam. The heart has already been seen to be uh, important in the king's narratives, notably uh, with Solomon, of whom we read 1 Kings 11, 4, uh, his heart was not fully devoted to Jehovah his God. And because Jehu suffered the same heart issues, his, uh, the, the revolution that he carried out in Israel remained an external one, which in no way impeded the eventual slide of the northern kingdom into exile to Assyria. The consequence of Jehu's deficient heart here in 2 Kings 10, 32-33 echoes what happened in the closing year of Solomon's reign as well. Failure in true allegiance to uh, Jehovah is reflected in uh, Jehovah bringing foreign enemies to reduce the size of Jehu's kingdom. During Jehu's reign, Hazael, king of Aram, was unleashed against him. Verse 32, in those days, the Lord began to cut off portions from Israel. The sequence of verses 28 through 33 suggests that the initial strikes of verses 32 and 33 are Jehovah's judgments against Jehu for his lukewarmness. One chunk after another of Israel's real estate is lost to her. Verse 33 informs us that this meant the loss of Gilead and Bashan. All of Israel's land east of the Jordan. Hazael, the king of Aramea, uh, the Aramean king, the king of Aram, was uh, responsible for uh, this. In those days, verse 32, Hazael defeated them throughout the territory of Israel. There it is. In plain Sight in our English Bibles, Jehovah began to cut off, Hazael struck down Israel. Hazael is Jehovah's instrument, just as Jehu was, and Jehovah's word had predicted Hazael's scourge, 2 Kings 8, verses 10 to 12, just as it had predicted Jehu's purge, chapter 9, verses 7 to 10. This is a sobering summary. Because it tells us 
that one instrument of Jehovah's judgment, Hazael, is raised up to bring judgment against another instrument of Jehovah's judgment, Jehu. This is a sequence that will repeat itself. Though Jehovah will use Assyria as a rod of his anger against his own people, yet the Lord will destroy Assyria for forgetting that it was merely an instrument in his hand to judge and chastise Israel. Isaiah 10, verses 1 to 19. Jehovah will give Judah and surrounding nations to his servant, the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, Jeremiah 27, verse 7, yet Jehovah will judge Babylon for proudly defying the Holy One of Israel in its function as a service to Jehovah in chastising his people of Judah. Jeremiah 50, verse 29. The summary here in verses 34 to 36 of our text essentially informs us that while Jehu had fulfilled his role as an instrument of Jehovah's vengeance, in the elimination of Ahab's house, there's really not much more to be said. He's credited with achievements using the standard formulary of the king's narratives, uh, which, if not already familiar to us, will become even more so as we continue through the rest of the kings in succession. But no hint is given as to what these achievements were. The rest of the 28 years of Jehu's reign are passed over in silence. Jehu's account testifies that one can be used by God and judged severely by God. We need to go no farther than Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23 to see the New Testament paradigm here. Not everyone who says to me, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we, uh, did, we, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You can be both used by Christ and rejected by Christ. 
That's the terrifying reality that we find in Matthew chapter 7. Just because you have at some time, in some way, been denominated as the Lord's servant doesn't mean you're viewed with the Lord's pleasure. It's quite solemn. It calls for serious soul-searching. Let Jehu haunt you to fear and faithfulness to Jehovah. Let this be a, a heart check for you as to your commitment to the Lord, the state of your heart in serving Him. Are you giving lip service to God and yet, yet not serving the Lord genuinely as pleases Him? This is a challenging text. A passage like this challenges your level of commitment to the Lord. Do you shun idolatry of false religions, professing zeal for Jehovah while clinging to the idols of your heart? It's a valid question, is it not? Are you exalting the the idols of your heart meant for destruction? Engage your hearts in this soul-searching. Engage your hearts in this self-examination. And take heed to the biblical admonitions to wholehearted, sold-out fidelity to Christ, such as we find in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1. And two, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And as you fix your eyes on Christ and his cross, remember the way Jesus himself presses wholehearted fidelity upon all of his disciples. Luke 9.23 If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Let's pray. Our holy God, You have 
commanded us that like the Holy One who called us, we are to be holy in all our ways, just as you are holy. Our hearts are to be holy in the sanctified sense, and they are to be wholehearted in their service to you. We pray that you would teach us to examine ourselves daily, to search our hearts, to see if there is any wrong way found in us. Grant us, O God, the grace of repentance that we might turn away from lukewarmness, that we might turn away from half-hearted service to you, Stir up a zeal in us, O God, a pure zeal, a holy zeal, a righteous zeal for your ways and your works and for all the things that you have called us to do in your name, in this world in which we live. Grant, O Lord, that we might walk before you faithfully. Grant us by your holy grace fidelity in our service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.